welcome again to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today, we have a super special uh, item for you, all my audiences, and it's all about some about me, yours truly. The today is going to be full of a, a, a TED Talk, and it was created for me in Philadelphia four years ago. And we will look at that. You'll see it on good, and you'll see it on hold well. And then at the end of that, we'll we'll look at it, have a look at it, and maybe borrow a little bit more look back if we can. So let's um, let's get the let's get the uh, I guess the speech is running. All right, our next speaker is John Smith, and he currently lives in the hill country between Austin and San Antonio, Texas. He is a retired CPA, banker, and real estate broker in Texas and Colorado, and he's the author of Embracing the Abyss, a true story of unknowingly becoming part of a fraud scandal, receiving a presidential pardon, and being surprised by a spiritual awakening. His mission is the crafting of a message that people can put in their pockets and use in their everyday lives. Warm welcome to John Smith. Raise your hand if you know anyone who has received a presidential pardon and know the story behind it. My name is John Smith, and I really did receive a presidential pardon. At Vernon Savings and Loan, I was an executive officer in charge of administrative matters and compliance. I was a CPA. I was the chief financial officer of the holding company that bought the SNL. Due to deregulation and lax security, I watched the SNL grow from an $80 million balance sheet to $1.4 billion in only four years. Savings and loans began having problems, regulatory problems, and ownership issues became very political. I left the company on my birthday to open a consulting service, believing that the world was at my doorstep. Life seemed positive until six months later, a constable delivered a very large box to my porch. I was being sued for $540 million, charged with fraud, conspiracy, Racketeering, you name it, they listed it. I dug through the box thinking it wouldn't be very long before they realized that I wasn't one of the bad guys. 
not. But I didn't do anything. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I wasn't one of those guys. I didn't go to the bars with them. I didn't fly on the company jets to California to play with the prostitutes. I was too busy coaching peewee football and Little League Baseball in a town near Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. With the help of my God-sent attorney, I was faced with a very angry federal task force. They didn't care if you were an officer or a secretary or a bill clerk. Everyone was guilty. Everyone was involved. I told my attorney that I wasn't one of them, that I wasn't part of whatever was going on, that I want to fight them because I'm on the right. And he said, there is no right side here. And the feds all have the might. I said, John, don't you get it? You're on your way to prison. Don't you see that yet? Don't you understand there's nothing you can do? You cannot take on the federal government. Stop fooling yourself. You cannot defend yourself against the federal government. They'll take their biggest train and their biggest truck and they'll run right over you. They'll back up and they'll do it again. If you continue thinking that you're going to fight them, you have an enormous risk you're putting on yourself. And that is you'll lose everything that you own. Bank accounts, investments, your home, probably your marriage. They hold all the cards, including the card of, of public perception. Even if you could separate yourself from, from the others, they're still going to view you as one of them. You have effectively been thrown into a purgatory of guilt by association. My attorney concluded that the only way to possibly hope of not going to prison would be to cross the Rubicon and become a member of the other camp. I would have to plead guilty. I would have to assist them in their investigations. Even if leniency was not involved. On a chilly February day, I entered a plea to one count of fraud for making a false statement not under oath or a financial statement I never saw. Sentencing was set eight months later in October. My attorney said I had this time to prove to the government that I could become a, a, a trusted government witness. At that point, I began researching for the FBI. Every file and every box, every box in the warehouse. And then followed by multiple interviews, most every days of the week. The October day arrived. Judge Robert Maloney, known as the hanging judge, had prepared my sentence. I felt that the, that the 
courtroom was cold and stark. I knew as I stood in the courtroom, my insides were rattling big time. I almost was certain that everyone in the courtroom could see me shaking like this. The Justice Department attorneys declined our last request for leniency. They did not change their position on whether I should have prison time or not. They wanted me to go to prison. The judge, one of my adult heroes, sentenced me to five years and 500 hours of community service. I would no longer stare at my bedroom ceiling in the morning when I woke, thinking I might be in jail. Two years later, the judge released me from probation and thanked me publicly for the cooperation I made and the role I played in the prosecutions and investigations. For 14 years, I was a government witness for the federal government. Criminal and civil trials. In year 15, I got a call from the senior agent, FBI agent, who had prosecuted my case. He asked me to lunch. We met, ordered iced tea, and then he became very serious. He said he wanted me to know that he had been in touch with all of the Justice Department attorneys and the FBI agents that had worked my case, the Vernon Savings cases. And he said that we're all in agreement that we should never prosecute you. It took me a bit to gather myself. When I got control of my voice box, I looked him dead in the eye and said, well, it looks like you're buying lunch. <laughs> he said that they didn't know much about the pardon process, but they would try and help me if they could. I learned later on that I had saved the government thousands of hours and millions of dollars. What people don't know is when there's a pardon application, there's a, an investigation. For me, again, my neighbors would be interviewed, my employees, my friends, even my ex-wife. This was like our old friend Yogi Berra telling us it's deja vu all over again. I hand wrote and typed my application for pardon. I didn't use a lawyer, nor did I consult with one. I had to do this myself. With fingers crossed, I signed and submitted my application to the government for a presidential pardon. From then on, every Thanksgiving, I would, I would call my pardon attorney who I was assigned to. Her name was Hope. And I would say, I was watching TV and I saw where President Bush is pardoning another turkey. She would say, now, Mr. Smith, you know, I can't tell you anything about your application. And I, my reply was, yes, ma'am. I was just checking to see if it's in the trash or not. 
Five years passed. The phone rang. It was Hope. And within, without due haste, she said, Mr. Smith, we inform you that President Bush has signed and, and, and granted you your pardon. And wish you a Merry Christmas. Just like that, you know. Just like that. I've tried many times to sum it all up. Was I that I survived? That I persevered? That I was a victim? That I was screwed? I do know that as time passes more and more, I simply believe that I was selected. I can tell you as I stand before you that I'm living proof that there is a greater presence out there. Over the years, I learned to believe in your courage, to hope for determination and willpower, to maintain faith and believe in yourself. I think I can. I think I can. Reaching the top and coming down the other side. I knew I could. I knew I could. These are the words from the uh, little engine who could. Life has its challenges whether you want them or not. Have faith, believe in your courage, and never give up. I sat on the edge of my chair. He's mild-mannered, CPA, kind of quiet, and then you hear his story. You know, and, and my God, you can't do anything but trust him and trust that he will make it through. His delivery, his story is, is spellbinding, and I'm glad I got to hear it. Wow, that was, I was blown away. It was riveting. It was. I was on the edge of my seat. I mean, just the way he tells the story and with such grace, humility, and... I can't believe what he went through. It was just, but it's such an inspiration, the way he dealt with it, and in the end, how he kept the faith. Amazing. So inspiring. We can't even begin to imagine the endurance, the, uh, the, the grit that he had to deploy, the self-reflection. I mean, uh, unbelievable. I, th I think his story deserves to be a movie. I really do. I think that uh, uh, a story about not only what happened, but how he got through it, it's uh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Rarely will you find a historical piece written in such a dramatic, compelling way. Tremendous mixture of accounting details that elucidated a number of problems at once, bringing the muddy legal chaos to life.
John Smith's life is both unique. No one else has been so challenged in the way he has and every man's battle. The pressure to work hard, be loyal, trust authority and questioning to what extent one is selling out. Amazing adventure, this read. Now, Mr. Smith, I urge you to take the next step. The trust that God has given you trustworthy instruction manual, that is what and without error in its original languages, that provides a complete record, record of the history we need to know to guide us into how to embrace God and all he has done, is doing, and will do, his great love for all of us. His love is integrity in perfection. Thank you. That was nice comments. There's some more. We'll give you some more background on this. If you're an accountant or in a financial field, you'll probably enjoy this book more and more. I'm not, and there were some professional terms I didn't really understand, but I still enjoyed the overall journey and meaning in this book. This story has stuck with me more than I expected, especially when he talked about how most people think they are already have integrity. I've been questioning myself on that. And another very interesting first-hand account of a man wrongly convicted of a crime he knew nothing about. Easy to understand and emphasize with brilliant storytelling woven in. I was seated next to John on an airplane ride, and I can say I've never met a more thoughtful, pleasant, and interesting person. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, here's another. Gives it five stars. This book is one of the best I have ever re read. How about that? The book was reviewed in the United States on January 7, 2022. A great look back in history. And she was looking well when they went Heather. Oh, good read. Hard to put down. That's talking about the book. From the very first chapter, it was hard to put this book down. This is an explanation of how regular people with the help of shady politicians fleeced the American public during the savings and loan crisis of the 1980s. People's lives were destroyed when their life savings were stolen from them. Imagine bankers giving their friends and family members unsecured loans along with them to Identification letters in case they lose it all. Would the feds question why he, you advanced interest payments of over $2 million to keep accounts current? 
if your signature was on those checks, would you consider yourself not involved? It's a first-hand account of an enormous crime and colossal denial. The savings and the loan crisis was a precursor to such fraud as Enron and the Bernie Madoff scandal. The book is warning shot across the bow of anyone feeling the corporate fever. If it can happen to John Smith Accountant, it can happen to you. Mix in the author's fear of abandonment, psychic consultations, past life regressions, and a heroic turning. And you have one heck of a story. Thank you. Victor Smith has done an excellent job of describing the SNL disaster of the 2000s era and before. SNL, of course, is savings and loan. Without becoming overtly, overtly political, he has described in detail how he was entrapped by those willing to break the law for their own financial gain. Since I am not an accountant, some of his deep explanations were lost on me. I am glad that he was fortunate to avoid jail time. I recommend this book to anyone engaged in big business financial ventures as a strong word of warning. These are very, very interesting and very touching. Um, let me see, here's another. I remember a little about the savings and loan scandals of the 1980s, so thought it would be interesting to read a firsthand account for someone involved. I found it fascinating that someone could be prosecuted and convicted when he didn't really know what was going on. Not being an accountant or lawyer, I didn't understand a lot of the things that were done wrong. But it seems any of us can be so caught up in the excitement of success that we fail to see it's all smoke and mirrors. This is a reminder that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. A lot of these readers that sent these in to give me strength, give me power for the future, and new and new books that are going to be a real pillar. Here's one. A worthwhile telling of personal growth and strength of character. A raw view of seemingly impossible events brought to life by startling life events that would not be of anyone's choosing. A story of getting to the other side of the bad in the journey. John Smith's travels in the shadows of ethics and the legal system that engulfs the innocent along with guilty. Lost in the twists and turns of their legal and career, nightmare of the savings and loan market manipulations that were not of his making, but caught up in the federal prosecution. Life becomes a tortured maze of how to cross, cross, cross the Rubicon 
and get to the other side of the litigation and the realization that being innocent does not define you. The story of finding the one seer who can bring peace and direction in chaos, loss in the veil and the abyss. The darkness in life is not the defining moment, but the catalyst for change. John's encounters with investigators, prosecutors, judges, an insightful attorney, and his own defining life experiences and under character with its stark in your face, telling of defining moments from his personal history are all being in part of the telling of his personal growth against impossible odds. An impossible trip from confidence and success to doubt and discouragement and back again. There are lessons from which anyone can draw. The abyss waits anyone, everyone, and it could be a small or large event. The event either short or long, perhaps a lifetime. Embracing the abyss is a learned look back through just one of the lives possible portals, a primer in ethics and discernment. Well, these are uh, feelings and opportunities that we've seen in these uh, in the in the book, my book, Embracing the Abyss. It is uh, an outstanding book, in my opinion. People really like it. And uh, I'll have a few minutes rest here. I had some other thought that I didn't bring with me, but that usually happens all the time. <laughs> it just does, you know, especially like your own history and, and, and also the way I was able to handle it. And Steve Bruchet was my lawyer. It was my friend and still is. We still talk. Um, and let's see. I guess today we're going to sign off. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the speech. Um, my presidential pardon. And tell our listeners how to find your friends and enjoy the book. And thank you and listeners for tuning in to searching for integrity and embracing the abyss. So long and happy trails to all until we meet again. Thank you much. Thank you.